Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work of grace. We thank you that you came to seek and save the lost, that you died for us when we were yet sinners. And God, I thank you for the work that you've begun in Eric and Jenny. And I thank you, Lord, that you will bring it to completion. Lord, I pray that you would keep this couple. God, I pray that as they navigate through life, that they would continue to keep their hope fixed on you, the author and perfecter of their faith. We commend them to you and ask, Lord, that you would continue to use them for your glory. And God's people said, amen. Thank you, guys. Good morning again. This is a a great day. It is a day like none others for Christians. It is a day where we celebrate our hope. It is a day where we celebrate that not only did Jesus do what he said he would do on the cross, that he fulfilled all the promises on the cross. And he died, but he rose again. And this is the day for me where I remember it like none other. We know that it is our hope 365 days out of the year, isn't it? It's not just our hope on Easter. But I would be fibbing to you if I said that the other 364 days that I think about it like I think about it today. You know, life kind of gets in the way sometimes. Life is full of stresses. It's full of anxieties. There's war to think about. There's famine to think about. There's earthquakes. There's the idiocy going on in Washington to think about. There's my personal finances. There's marriage issues all over the place. And it's easy to get distracted by these challenges. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's easy to get our eyes off the ball, to remember that hope that saves us. If you're like me, you're tired of constantly being consumed with and anxious about things we can't control. And ultimately, those are the things that make us anxious, aren't they? The things that we can't control anyways. We're going to take a look at the scriptures today. And these scriptures are going to answer some of these questions. How can we have the power of hope? How can we have the power of hope in times of great stress and anxiety? To not just endure unjust suffering and treatment, but to be joyful in it. What's that look like? Because we we all live in a fallen world. One thing that Christ promised us, that Jesus promised us, is that there would be suffering. And there's different degrees of suffering. So that's a given. I know that every one of you, doesn't matter where you're at, you have different degrees of trials and suffering in your life. And the question is, is how can we be joyful in that? What's the solution? How when your life, your job, your business, freedom, health, marriage, or reputation is at risk... Can you have the power to rise up with joy? How can you have the power to rise up in joy when you've experienced abuse, abandonment, or neglect? And I know many of you have. Many of you have experienced things in your life, not just yesterday, but throughout your life, that continually robs you of your joy. One thing that I know is that our God is sovereign and that He is loving, He's faithful, and He's trustworthy. And there's nothing that catches him by surprise. He doesn't slumber and he doesn't sleep. We're going to take a look today at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. If you'd open there with me. And if you don't have a Bible, if there's some spare Bibles next to you, would you hold them up, please? Pew Bibles, hold them up. 
And if you don't have a Bible, grab one of these. And it's on page 1014 in the back of that Bible. 1014 in the, in the back of the Pew Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. A resurrection that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading. And a hope that is guarded by the power of God. And I pray here today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would protect your word. God, I pray that you would edit anything that would bring offense to your word that might come out of my mouth. Father, I pray for malleable, moldable hearts. No matter where each person is at, whether they are 48 hours away from seeing you face to face, where they are born again and ready to see you, or whether yet, Lord, they have not even started seeking you. I pray, Lord, that you would affect change in hearts today. For the believer that they would leave here today knowing more what their hope is in. And for those that are here today without Jesus, God, I pray for attentiveness. I pray for a soft heart. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that today would be the day of salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. First of all, let's lay the context here as to what's going on. 1 Peter was written about 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. What was going on in the time is that there was immense persecution, that the government was persecuting Christians, that employers were persecuting Christians. They were asking a lot of Christians. Marriages were in disarray. There was lots of pain and suffering for Christians, the very audience that Peter wrote to. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Throughout this short book, Peter encourages his readers to endure suffering and persecution by giving themselves entirely to God. They are to remain faithful in times of distress, knowing that God will vindicate them, and they will certainly enjoy the salvation that the Lord has promised. The death and resurrection of Christ stands as a paradigm or as a model for believers to live and to suffer well. The death and resurrection of Jesus is there for a model for us, a paradigm for us to follow. Just as Christ suffered and entered into heaven, so too his followers will suffer and be exalted. Folks, there is so much good news today, and we are going to hit on this good news. But the suffering and the trials in your lives, in my life, are by design. They're by design. Peter instructs us how to live in a world that is hostile and unfair. He tells us how to endure unjust suffering and to look to Jesus as our example on how to endure hardship. Let's look at the scriptures together. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven, believer, for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in order to understand these scriptures, we need to understand some key terms. First of all, we need to understand what it means to be born again. That is a term that is just kicked around, isn't it? Born again. 
Barna is a guy that does surveys, and he does surveys, and he categorizes them as born-again or evangelical. And I've got to tell you that evangelical is not found in the Bible. Born-again is. And born-again is the way that the, the term that should be used to describe ourselves. And you'll see why as we get through this. What is born again? How does it happen? The way that we're going to understand this today is we're going to look at John chapter 3, verse 3. If you take a look at that with me. Keep a finger in First Peter. Go back about eight or nine books and you'll find it there. Jesus told Nicodemus, a man who was a ruler and teacher of the law, that everything he was striving for would not gain him eternal life. You see, Nicodemus was a teacher Nicodemus was a ruler. Nicodemus knew the scriptures better than anybody of that day. Nicodemus had heard of Jesus, and he was interested in Jesus' message. And he approached Jesus by night because he was afraid of what might happen to him. He approached him by night. Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus that everything he was striving for would not give him eternal life. Not praying three times a day, not memorizing the Old Testament not being a good teacher, not religious rituals. None of that would gain him entrance into heaven. Jesus would tell him, Nicodemus, you just can't be good enough. You just can't be good enough. In modern day Christianity, in America in particular, is all about trying to be good enough. It's all about trying to live by a set of rules. Jesus responded this way to Nicodemus in verse 3 of chapter 3 of John. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here Nicodemus is a holy man, a moral man, a man that understands the scriptures like nobody else. And he says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man or woman is born again, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Meaning, you can't be saved unless you're born again. Skip all the way down to verse 14 and 15 in John 3. And Jesus doesn't leave him hanging. He doesn't exasperate him. He tells him how to be born again. And he says this in verses 14 and 15. He says, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. You go, what? How does that explain born again? Are you kidding me? Well, you've got to go back to Numbers 21. Don't turn back there. I'll tell you the story. What's happening here is that the Israelites, God had rescued them from the bondage and slavery of Egypt. They were wandering in the desert. God had fed them. God had clothed them. God said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. And what did they do? They complained. They complained. And then what God does when we're in rebellious sin time and time again is he instituted some consequences. And he infested the land with snakes, with serpents. And these serpents and snakes bit the Israelites. Many of them died. And the rest of them got sick. And in the midst of their sickness, they went to Moses and said, Moses, pray to God that he would relieve us from this sickness, this poison. We know we have sinned against you, Moses, and most importantly, we have sinned against God. And here's what the Lord told Moses to do. I've got a little prop. He just said this. He said, 
He said, raise a bronze snake, a bronze serpent. Raise it on a stick. And that when those that are sick, physically sick from the bite of the snake, when they look upon this, they will be healed. Now, the important thing is not necessarily that they look upon this, but that they were repentant and they looked upon this. So the way to be born again, and the reason that Jesus told Nicodemus this, is he says you can't be good enough. You've got to understand that you're a sinner. You've got to confess that sin and understand that Jesus is the only one that can take away that sin. That's born again. It's understanding that you're a sinner. Repenting and understand that the one that died for you is the one that can cleanse you with his blood. Does that make sense? It is a great, great story. Jesus cut to the core of Nicodemus' self-righteousness. And he told them what all sinners need to hear. That they are spiritually regenerated or born again only by faith in Jesus. That's it. Only by faith in Jesus. We can't be good enough. The reason that we need to be born again, folks, is because as Ephesians 2 says, is that we're dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our sins. We have a, a spiritual condition called sinners. And there's only one hope for us. And most of you have embraced that hope. And I praise the Lord for that. And that hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. It says in Ephesians 2, But God be in rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. That means spiritually dead. That means that there was no hope. There was no hope for Nicodemus outside of a relationship with Jesus. And when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When I am born again from above, I receive the risen Lord. I receive his very life so that not only Jesus can live in me, but he can live through me. Because Christians, even if you know Jesus, we can't live this life on our own. We can only live it in the power of the Holy Spirit living through us. If you're here today without Jesus, I want to tell you, you can't be good enough. You can't be good enough. Today's the day. The new birth that Jesus is talking about is not the makeup of morality. It's not like the makeup of the morticians that they use to, to make corpses look alive. What happens at the new birth is not the improvement of the old human of ourselves. It's not self-improvement, but it's a creation of the new nature. Let's take a look at living hope. Now that we know what born again is, what's the living hope that, that Peter's talking about in this, in this verse? What is living hope and what is it not? First of all, what it isn't. Here's what it isn't. I might say, guys, is this the Rockies year? Is this the year? And you might say, I don't know, but I hope so. You might ask me, Dan, is Natalie ever going to get pregnant? And I might say, I don't know, but I hope so. That's not the hope that Peter's talking about here. Here's the hope. Get this. You get this, and you're going you're to get the entire message. 
The hope that he's talking about, the living hope, is described in verses 4 and 5. Take a look at it. He tells us that the living hope is our imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. And that is kept safe for us. It's being guarded by the power of God. Your living hope, if you've been born again, is the imperishable, unfading inheritance that is being guarded for you by the power of God. Hope, here's the definition of hope. Hope is a full assurance or a strong confidence that God is going to do good to us in the future. It's not a matter of question mark or making a wish. Yeah, I'm hoping the Rockies win it all this year. Shaking his head back there. White socks are going down. I'm hoping the Rockies, and I'm hoping that my daughter has a baby sometime in the next decade because I'm dying. But those are wishes. Our hope, our living hope, we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is in that resurrection. Our bodily resurrection that we, because Jesus conquered the grave, that we, in fact, will not be stuck in the grave, that we will be face to face with him. There'll be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more trials. Folks, this earth is not heaven. It's a shadow. It is a, it is a, it is a sliver of a shadow of what is to come. What is an inheritance? Definition of an inheritance. If you know Jesus, if you're born again, you are included in his last will and testament. Have you heard of people that that have been disinherited, right? The wayward child that has been disinherited because mom and dad were afraid that they would spend all the money? Well, there's some good reasons for that. We will never be disinherited. If you have been born again, there is nothing you can do that is bad enough to lose your inheritance. Nothing you can do to lose your inheritance. The key is, is make sure that you're born again. The scriptures say to examine ourselves daily to see if we're in the faith. There's a song that we sing. It's not the schemes of man, not the schemes of man nor the power of hell can separate us from God. Scripture says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You have a believer, you have a sure inheritance. And when you hope in that, it's not just just hoping that I don't blow it and I make it there. It means that you are transformed. As it says in 2 Corinthians, that you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are new. And God sees you positionally as holy and perfect. Now, yes, he calls you to obedience. But I want to tell you, as Eric said in his testimony, that if you're his and you stumble, you stumble through this life and you sin, he is not going to disinherit you. You are his child. And you are forever locked into his inheritance. Peter wants to emphasize and encourage the believers of his time with their true hope as there is so much uncertainty in their lives because of suffering. It really sounds familiar today. 
folks, we've got things happening all around us that are, that are idiocy. Is that a word? They're idiotic. Thank you. They don't seem to be fair. Some of you are sick, physically sick, or you know loved ones that are sick. Some of you have marriages that just, it's, it's, you're not living the dream that you thought you'd be living. Marriage isn't quite what you thought it would be. Some of you have experienced financial issues. My bride and I sure have. And God has allowed that. And what Peter wants the believers of that time to do is to look past their circumstances. To look forward to their sure hope. You see, this, this life here is a dot on the line of eternity. We live as if this life is all of eternity. It is a dot. I mean, I wish I had a boy. It's a dot on the line of eternity. And we need to live for that line. Perhaps the next time you apply Romans 8.28 to a hardship in your life, it'll have new power. Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All things work together. Some things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. If you're born again, all things work for good. Everything, every aspect of your life. If you're not born again, hear the call. Because it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. The last thing we want to look at is the resurrection. Last but not least. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exclamation point. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection certifies our hope. Think about Pentecost. After Jesus had died, he rose again from the dead. He walked 40 days on the earth. He ascended into heaven. And then that day of Pentecost where Peter preached the gospel. He preached the only hope for the world. Thousands of people bent their knee to Jesus that day. Now, if the Pharisees and the scribes could have come up with a dead body, I would submit to you that nobody that day would have put their faith in Jesus. Because there could have been all the promises on the cross. But if Jesus would have been in the grave and not risen again, it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen, 14, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith, brothers and sisters, is in vain. The resurrection is the pinnacle, it's the crux of our faith. And you know what? There's proof. There's proof. If anybody's here today and skeptical, there's proof. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6, he says, he's talking to the believers in Corinth. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with prophecy, in accordance with Scriptures. There were many Scriptures hundreds of years ago that prophesied that there would be a Messiah that died the death that he died, that would be buried and that he would rise again. But that's not enough here. 
And Paul says to the church in Corinth, and then Jesus appeared to Cephas, Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Folks, Jesus rose again from the dead. He conquered death. That is our living hope. That is our inheritance. Worship team, would you make your way up front, please? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, because Jesus conquered death, believers have an unshakable hope for the future, for Christ's resurrection. And it's a promise. His resurrection is a pledge. It is a promise. It is a guarantee, if you know Jesus, of your future resurrection. That you are going to spend eternity with no more suffering, no more pain, no more Washington stuff. These guys are going to lead us in a song. If you would just contemplate the words. I want to tell you, I want to remind you that believers reflect upon being born again and what that means. It means that you are a new creation and the old is gone, the new has come. It means that you've been born again to a living hope. You haven't just been born again to to being a good person. You've been born again to a living hope. A living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you're here today without Jesus, today's the day. He's beckoning. 